0: ways praying to
1: Easter Epiphany. Uh, today's call to worship is from uh, Psalm 16, and it reads, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore.
0: i Christ is risen from the dead, trembling over death by death. Come away, come away, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead, we are one with him again. Come away, come away, come and rise up from the grave. Oh. Victory, oh church, come stand in the light. The glory of God has defeated the night. Say it, no death. Where is your sting? Oh hell, where is your victory? Oh church, come stand. risen from the dead. trembling over death by death. Come away, come away, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead. We are one with Him again. Come away, come away, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead. We are one with Him again. Come away, come away, oh and rise up from the grave oh. Happy Easter, everyone. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of God.
2: Precious blood has left me
3: Chapter 10, verses 34 through 43. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened
4: He is risen, He is risen indeed. Our text for this morning's Easter message comes from Matthew chapter 28, the first 10 verses. It reads like this, now after the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Go and tell my brothers and go to Galilee, and there they will see me End the breeding. So how are you doing? How are you holding up? That is the questions that I have been asking people over and over and over again the last few weeks. The responses have varied. I mean, you know, there are some positive responses to that question, like our, our friend Isaiah, you know, working at Target, stocking shelves, responded to that question the first time I asked him, I'm doing great, man. I, I'm feeding the city right now by keeping food on the shelves. And so he had taken quite an optimistic tone and truly felt that way. I also heard, like, you know, hey, listen, I got to say, it's not too bad to be able to catch up on shows that I've always wanted to watch, I mean, yeah, it's a little boring, but uh, I can't complain. I'm okay being holed up in my apartment. But then there there are the other responses that I have frequently heard, too. I'm stressed out. I'm pretty anxious. I'm stir-crazy. I'm bored. I just can't wait for this thing to be over. I feel that too. Many of our nurse friends report a certain level of fear and trepidation as they struggle to get a hold on the patients that they serve in their various hospitals. Oftentimes without all the protective gear they need, it's understandable that there would be fear. As I read through our gospel text for this Easter Sunday, it occurred to me that probably the disciples on that first Sunday morning were feeling many of the same emotions that we might be feeling now. On the one hand, they were grieving. I mean, they had just seen the man that they thought at least was their Messiah killed in the most excruciating way, crucified. They'd seen him tortured. They probably felt uh, guilty because they had abandoned him. They probably were afraid of being rooted out as well by the religious leaders and the governing authorities. They they probably felt a lot of the same emotions that you and I would feel in a time like that. You gotta wonder, were they asking themselves, have we just wasted the last three years of our life being with this man? Was Was he, were the miracles somehow a form of magic that we just couldn't figure out? I mean, I thought what I saw was true, but he's dead. And so the women head to the tomb that day, not anticipating that they're going to see a risen Jesus. They head to the tomb that day to bring spices so that his body won't smell too bad. It's an act of honor, it's an act of grieving. And yet, to their great surprise, and I think still even to us today, the words that will come ringing out again and again throughout this text are not words of sorrow and mourning, and they're not words of preparing them for what might befall them in the future in regard to the authorities. No, the the words that ring out from this text multiple times are four very important little words. Do not be afraid do not be afraid and those words certainly apply to you and i today do not be afraid the angel essentially says because god is for you now there was a reason that the angel had to tell the women not to be afraid I mean, typically when you come across an event like this in scripture, when a holy being or a divine being shows up, people do shrink away in terror. Becoming all too aware of their own unholiness in the sight of holiness, it makes them humble and frightened. In, in fact, one of the guards who was at the tomb had that very reaction. Matthew says that he trembled so much. They trembled so much that they became like dead men. It's another way of saying they were paralyzed with with fear. And so it's understandable that the the first words out of the angel's mouth to these women to reassure them in a time of great confusion and great sorrow on their part is, do not be afraid. And in those four words, what he is really saying to them and to us today is, do not be afraid, God is. Is indeed for you. The empty tomb that you see here is evidence God is for you. Do not be afraid. I can't help but think of the story of the Israelites fleeing from their slave masters, the Egyptians, trying to get to the promised land when they come upon the banks of the Red Sea. If you remember the story, they do what, well, the Israelites so often do, uh, they completely freak out and lose their minds. They say to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die here in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us up out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to die there than in the wilderness. And I love Moses' response, so similar to the angel's response to these women. Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. And listen to this wonderful line, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. as the women gaze in upon the empty tomb and do not see the body of Jesus what they are being told is do not be afraid god is for you god is for you do not be afraid the angel says because what you <clears throat> because what you are being told actually really did happen you have to believe that the women at first were wondering if they were seeing an optical illusion. They, they, I mean, they had to be sort of questioning in their mind, like, where is the body? They had to be wondering, is this really true? It's the reason that the angel says, no, go ahead, look in. I want you to know the, the tomb really is empty. Jesus really isn't there. He really is alive. It occurs to me when I, when I think about the way that the New Testament writers make the case for the resurrection, they do the very same thing. They call people to believe in eyewitness testimony. They don't call people to believe in Christianity out of some sort of wish fulfillment that, you know, maybe they can avoid the problems of life. No, no, no. They call people to, uh, to believe in Christianity because it's actually based on reliable historical evidence. This is why the Apostle Paul can say in writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that the reason they can believe is because Jesus appeared to a bunch of people at different times, including one time, 500 people at the same time. This is no hallucination. This is no hoax. 500 people don't have the same hallucination. There just wasn't enough LSD and mushrooms back then to make that happen. It's not the case. Paul says, no, this is something that people can vouch for. They saw him, they touched him, they heard him. After he had been crucified, he ate with them, he was alive. It's true. Believe in the historical evidence. Believe in this eyewitness testimony. But it's not just that, of course. I mean, there's other pieces of historical evidence that lead us to believe that this is not some mere wish fulfillment, but this is actually really true. This really happened. For example, if you were trying to sort of sell this story to the ancient world, one thing you wouldn't want to do is report that the first people to see the empty tomb and in fact to see the risen Christ were his women followers Now, of course, today for us, that wouldn't be a big deal at all. We wouldn't find that suspicious. But back then, women's testimony wasn't fully accepted in a court of law at all. Women were seen as very low on the totem pole. If you're trying to sell a religion, you don't want unreliable women. That's the way they were seen back then, being the first ones to report that they saw the empty tomb. Unless, in fact, that's actually what happened. And they're reporting real history. What puzzles skeptics so often about Christianity is really the the birth of Christianity and the the rapid expansion of Christianity and even the martyrdom of the disciples. I mean, what what can account for all that if this is all just a hoax? I mean, at one point you have uh, no church and then suddenly the next day you have a church. Suddenly, in a group in in the 30s AD, a group of Jews, mind you, begin confessing that a man is God, and they start worshiping not on the Sabbath day, but on Sunday, because they say that's the day he rose from the dead. Soon, this message spreads like wildfire, and, and all the disciples are willing to go to martyrs' deaths except for one, who was actually willing but just didn't end up being martyred, for their insistence. That this resurrection really did take place. No, we are not. We are not fearless on this day because we want this to be true. We are fearless and told not to be afraid on this Easter Sunday because it is in fact true. The historical data points us there. This is why some skeptics will even begrudgingly acknowledge that they do believe the historical data backs up the resurrection too. People like Orthodox Jewish scholar Pincus Lapid, who declared to a conference of fellow scholars on the Bible that he accepted the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, not based on an invention of the community of disciples, but actually as an historical event. He didn't accept Jesus as the God-man. He didn't believe Jesus was a Messiah. Nevertheless, the historical data was too strong for him to deny it. Why should this cause you to live without fear? Because Christian, your faith is not based on something you merely wish was true. It's based on something that actually is true. It's rock solid. It's trustworthy. Therefore, you can walk with confidence in what you believe. Do not be afraid, Christian, because Jesus indeed has defeated death for you. Do not be afraid. What the empty tomb tells you is that it's not merely that Jesus defeated death, but he did it for you. He's promised that just as he rose from the grave, you too will rise from the grave. I love what happens when the women come across Jesus. Jesus says greetings to them. It's this term uh, in Greek that's sort of like glad tidings. Uh, peace to you. It's such a subtle, uh, calm way of greeting them in a time of great excitement and fear. And then Jesus says those four little words again, do not be afraid. Behind those words is a declaration. You do not have to fear even death now. That's why the Apostle Paul can say to the Corinthian church in mockery, oh, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? It's why he can declare to Christians that death is merely sleep now. It's just, it's a nap for a brief moment until we reach glory. The first person I ever served communion to in my pastoral ministry was A wonderful woman named Charlene Gunderson. It was about my first week of ministry. I showed up to the hospital where Charlene was at and it was clear that she was getting close to death. She had stomach cancer. The family was all crowded around her bed and me and my pastoral supervisor walked into the room, greeted people, and started leading them through a brief communion service. Now Charlene by this point could not digest any more food. And so when it came time to pass the elements to her, Charlene, this is the body of Jesus Christ given for you. The smallest crumb of bread was placed on her lip. I can still picture it in my mind's eye today. Charlene, this is the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of your sins, the smallest drop of grape juice being placed on her lip. What I remember about this event was not just the fact that it was my first time administering communion to somebody who was dying, but it was actually Charlene's beautiful, death-defying words in the midst of receiving this great gift from God. As the body was placed on her lips, as the blood was placed on her lips, she was saying in barely audible whispered tones over and over again, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, because Charlene knew that she served a risen Lord and that the tomb is still empty today. She was able to defy death in her last moments with praise. Do not be afraid, Christian, because the empty tomb declares to you today that you are forgiven of all your sins. The reason that you indeed will defeat death is because Jesus Christ has declared you a forgiven child of God. Matthew implies it as we move further on in the last chapter of Matthew, but Luke says it explicitly out of the lips of Jesus that repentance and forgiveness of sins should now be proclaimed in his name everywhere. Do not be afraid. Your sins will no longer be held against you. You are seen as righteous in the sight of God forever and ever and ever and ever, all on account of what Jesus has done in his crucifixion and resurrection from the grave. You are justified in the sight of a holy God, seen as a beloved child now by your Father in heaven. Oh, how significant this is, and oh, how much more safe and secure we could walk in this life if we really believed it was true every day. I can't help but think of a scene that I caught from the show ER a while back. Some of you might remember that show. It probably is available on some streaming app somewhere today. In this one scene, a dying man is is absolutely terrified of entering eternity, and he is desperately seeking someone he can confess his sins to. And so the hospital brings in their chaplain, and he proceeds to tell her about some major issues that he's had guilt about for years. He's concerned that there's no way he can be forgiven. Well, the chaplain, being a fairly modern person, tries to gives some spiritually sounding advice. Well, it may be that you just don't want to accept that you're already forgiven, she says. Well, how do I know that though? The man replies. Now, what she should have said in response to that question was, Well, you can know that you're forgiven because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and lived in your place, died in your place, rose from the dead in your place, and has declared forgiveness of sins to the world. But of course, this is, you know, TV, and so she does not give that answer. Instead, she says, well, I I think it's up to each one of us to interpret what God wants for us. Maybe you just need to find another reason for living By this time, you can see the man is getting quite irritated. Can you just please tell me if forgiveness, if atonement is even possible for me? And she still won't give a clear answer. And so finally, in utter frustration, the man says, I'm ready to die, but I'm afraid. I need to know, can I be forgiven? I want a real chaplain who believes in a real God and a real hell, a real pastor that can look me in the eye and tell me how to be forgiven. Let me be that chaplain today to you, Christian. Because Jesus lived, died, and rose in your place, you are forgiven by faith in his name, period. You are forgiven. Do not be afraid. And lastly, on this Easter Sunday, remember, do not be afraid. As Matthew reports to us at the very end of the chapter, do not be afraid because your Savior is with you always to the very end of the age. Yes, Christian, you don't have to be afraid through virus or sheltering in place and all the issues that we may face in this life because He is with you even now. He's with you through it all. And He won't leave. It's a promise. And he won't forsake you. It's a promise. Therefore, we can celebrate this Easter, even if it's not the way we wish it might be, gathered together, greeting each other with the phrase, he is risen. Nevertheless, we can celebrate this Easter with great joy because we know that no matter where we are, he is still with us now. He is alive, and he is present now. Rejoice, church, I say again. Rejoice, your Savior is alive, and he is here in your midst. Do not be afraid. Christ is risen. Alleluia and alleluia. Amen. Well, Epiphany, as we close up this Easter Sunday service, I just want to remind you about a few things. First of all, we're doing everything we can to try and stay connected during this time of uh, sheltering in place. And so we're gathering on Zoom uh, Monday evenings at 7 o'clock uh, for a time of fellowship and prayer, and then Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock for Bible study and prayer. And I'd invite you to join us uh, either way for that. You'll get a link. A couple times a week that you can just click and uh, and come right into it's real easy and hope you can join us for that stay connected also want to, want to remind you uh that there's if you'd like to give to the ministry of epiphany we can certainly use all the help we can get you can go on our website click the give tab and there you'll find out how to give via paypal and Venmo, uh, if you so choose all right with that receive the benediction from the book of numbers known as the Ironic benediction as you go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.
0: Your perfect law exposes me, and I feel my sin in desperate need. My